Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What you ask is impossible. Impossible. The task is only impossible because you have deemed it so. You must connect with your hatred. <laughs> Episode 250 of Full Sip. I am the Mike Pilot, and with me, my co host, Holly Fry. We are going out together this week. Brian is out for a surgical procedure. He may be back next week, but we're going to kind of try to push him to get healthy. See, Brian travels all over the place, and he does about a billion things, including being a good father and employee and writer and all that good stuff. So I'd like for Brian to, uh, you know, heal up Holly, you know? Yeah, whatever. I think he should just gun it until he just collapses. Which might be like no! the end of the month. I mean, <laughs> nah, he's running himself uh, rampant. So um, we're going to do, like we talked about in the show last week, we're going to read some emails that came in. A lot of it's about The Last Jedi. Um, that's the hot thing right now. So that's what we're going to talk about. I do want to bring up that I think the end of the month right now, actually, as I think our anniversary of doing this show, five years or something along those lines, and... Um, I wanted to wait till Brian was back. Well, we wanted to wait till Brian was back to do something. So uh, prepare yourself for an anniversary show later in the month when everybody's back and feeling better. And Holly, you've been all over the country and you plan on going out again soon. What's up? Yeah, we're uh, so we're launching a new podcast. Uh, How Stuff Works and Cartoon Network are are partnered for this podcast. I'm giving nothing away. It's been announced. Uh, We're doing a podcast about animation. So I have been traveling all over doing interviews with people. and then uh, I just got back from L.A., and I fly right back out to San Francisco for some more interviews. And slowly but surely, we will piece together a new show that should be launching at the end of Q1. So Can't wait to hear that. That's going to be awesome. I hope. How long has it been in the works? Uh, I think the, the agreement got made in the fall, and then it was all pre-production for like a month and a half, six or seven weeks. And then we kind of started really intensely hitting the interview trail. So. Um, my amazing producer, Noel, and I have been to L.A. a couple times to collect as many interviews as we can there. We've been doing phone interviews back in the studio in Atlanta. And then, like I said, we're running out to San Francisco to get some. And then we have a few more phone interviews. And then we really got to start picking through all of our audio to see where the real gems are and put together kind of a mosaic style um examination of different topics in animation i think that's awesome and i'm really looking forward to it, and i think everybody else is too my schedule's a little busy so if you're going to come up to reading to, to interview me you gotta let me know ahead of time it just can't be like we're coming up <laughs> that being said and i was joking listeners i wasn't being serious um we're gonna get into some emails right away we're gonna do this we have a bunch we pulled a bunch that we wanted to to touch base on holly you picked a few i have a few so uh, why don't you start this uh, episode 250 off of uh, reading these voicemails? Okay. 
So I'm going to start with the one that I'm most likely to cry at so that I get it out of the way. Okay. <laughs> this is from our listener, Bruce. And he writes, hi, Brian, Holly, and Mike. I wanted to start by saying how much I enjoy your show. And I was happy to meet you at last celebration. I'm sure you don't remember. That's okay. Uh, you guys are my favorite place for Star Wars news and commentary. And I love your chemistry and the insightful discussion. As a sidebar, I absolutely remember Bruce. He gave me my favorite pin of the show, and I started following him on social media because he is an amazing artist. So awesome. don't think I don't remember. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> said, I also wanted to thank you for opening my eyes to the Canto Bite sequence in The Last Jedi. After first seeing it, I too, like most, it seems, didn't really care for it, thinking that it was at first inconsequential. But after listening to you guys and seeing the movie again, I then realized the importance. The character growth for Finn, the relationship between him and Rose, the revelation of the war profiteers and the failure of their mission, and the consequences of Poe's decision to send them on that mission in the first place. That's actually quite a bit for something that I once thought was unimportant. And then he moves on to the Luke and Leia reunion and how that in particular warms his heart. He says, I wish everyone could see the movie that I see when I watch The Last Jedi. And I don't mean this in a condescending way. I'm not going to try to defend the movie. I can only tell you why I like it. In order to do that, you need to know where my head was going into it. As an artist, I know a reaction to a piece of art depends on what the viewer brings to it. To quote old Ben, quote, the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. First, I should say that I loved Princess Leia as a kid. And later, I grew to love Carrie Fisher, the writer, who filled her books with semi-autobiographical stories told with her trademark sardonic wit. I never romanticized, deified, or idolized her because she just wouldn't let you. She told her whole truth with her writing, and I admired the guts and strength that it took to talk openly about her struggles with mental illness and addiction. I had the utmost respect for her and was delighted at how she made every autograph session, interview, and convention panel an unpredictable joy to watch. And then she passed away. Someone filled with so much life was suddenly gone far too soon. My questions of who are Ray's parents and where did this new Palpatine named Snoke come from were quickly replaced with a more real world concern. Oh my God, what are they going to do with the character of Leia now that Carrie is gone? I've seen The Last Jedi seven times now. I regret nothing about this. To me, it's worth it because of one scene. When Luke appears to Leia on Crate, he begins to speak and she cuts him off, making a wonderful callback to her scene with Han in The Force Awakens. Uh... I know what you're going to say. I changed my hair. And Luke tells her he likes her hair. He sits and says, I'm sorry. And Leia responds, I know. I know you are. I'm just glad you're here with me at the end. And I feel my heart begin to break. I'm getting choked up reading this. I can so that's, hear that. Yeah. I, I cannot help it because I have the same reaction to this scene. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so he talks about, I'm not even going to read the next part of dialogue because I will start crying. But uh, he <laughs> mentions that no one has ever really gone line. And how it pertained to Han originally in the script, but of course now it's kind of for us and as fans in many ways. Yeah. He says, I know when this was written and filmed, this exchange was meant to comfort her about Han's death as well as foreshadow his own sacrifice. But in light of Carrie's passing, it feels a lot like Mark saying goodbye to Carrie, and by extension, the audience saying goodbye as well. It's emotional and unbelievably cathartic moment for me as a fan of Leia and a fan of Carrie. And even though she does have a few more scenes in the film, I truly feel like this was the best way to give her the character, her the character, the closure, the closure she deserves, with an on-screen reunion and a wonderful goodbye from her fictional brother and real-life friend. This scene is so beautiful that any other perceived flaws of this movie are forgiven. Uh, he says it's also so heart-wrenching, but that by the time of Luke's sacrifice, he's drained. So that moment doesn't hit me quite as it should. 
I have to thank Bruce for this one because I think he's identified why I didn't get as freaked out by Luke yeah. initially. I think it's that. My brain was still very busy dealing with that, that particular scene. Uh, and uh, he goes on to say some other things. Uh, he's really wowed by Adam Driver's performance, as I am as well. Um, says, the movie is not for everyone, I suppose, and that's fine, and I get it. Everyone has an opinion. This is mine. I love it. I plan on seeing it at least once a week until it's gone from theaters. No pressure to JJ. <laughs> uh, that is, uh, I was so thankful to get this email one because it did identify that, that thing where I was like, why am I not getting upset about Luke's passing? And I realized, oh, because I'm already emotionally overloaded and I couldn't really yeah, even get there. There's only so much you can process it at any given time. And I mean, you know, this is a wonderful email. And I mean, here it is. It's over a year since uh, we lost Carrie. And, and even now, you know, I hear you read that. I can hear it in your voice. How, how, you know, saddened it gets you. And then, you know, also while you're talking about it, it made me think of things and I got a tear in my eye too. It's just, um, yeah, I was going to bring up that line, but then he brought it up in the email. So I thought that was great with, you know, about nobody ever being gone. I do want to touch, touch up on the beginning of the email where he mm-hmm. talks about Canto bite. I, I have to agree with him. I, I mean, if you remember when we had our reaction show, I said that if there was a part of the movie that, you know, I didn't think it absolutely needed it to get rid of, that that would be it. And after listening to you guys and going back and seeing it in the theater several more times, it absolutely does um, a whole bunch for for the film. I mean, it actually ties a lot of things together. It makes a lot more sense, you know, being able to talk these things out with not only you and Brian, but with other listeners and other friends of Star Wars. And and um, I'm just really glad that I didn't, like, shut myself off from that scene completely just because I was trying to be stubborn and pick something you know, if I had to, but right. it's, it's it's a wonderful email. So thank you. As you said, that was from Bruce. Mm-hmm. That's a great email. Um. Also, since I praised his artwork, um, if anybody wants to go look at his artwork, I think it is at velvetgeek.com. He does a lot of velvet painting. Mm-hmm. Holy Moses. It is so good. Wow. Yeah. I've been there. It's very nice. Um, yes. We have some we have the most talented listenership in the freaking galaxy. We do. We really do. Okay, I'll read this one, and it's from uh, Kale. So, uh, hey, Full Assist team, thanks for this podcast. I was listening to your Spoil Edition Last Jedi um, podcast, and I had a realization about Leia and wanted to hear what you guys think, assuming you guys, and he means guys, or she means guys, as in I mean guys, as in guys is, not, you know, everybody's included in guys. It's clear from the movie that Ray and shirtless Kylo Ren can see each other while they're talking through the Force, and later implies that it takes some great power to make this connection since Snoke was the one doing it. They also juxtapose Kylo and, and Ray on screen so that it looks like they'd be facing each other if they were in person. Rewind to the beginning of the movie when Kylo Ren is flying his TIE silencer with his targeting computer locked on the bridge of his mother's ship. He is positioned on the left of the screen. Leia is positioned on the right of the screen. Here's my thought. Kylo Ren doesn't pull the trigger because Leia has initiated that same connection and he can see his mom. The other implication is that she is very strong with the Force, which we see moments later when she pulls herself back to the ship. You can also see that the moment it happens, too, because, if I remember right, the position of the camera slightly changes on Ben, but stays the same on the shots of Leia. I wouldn't think much about this normally, but there are so many small moments that have huge payoffs later in the movie that I'm convinced Ryan is trying to imply this connection. Thanks again for what you guys do, and I happily join the conversation whenever you guys need another Lifetime Star Wars fan in the mix. And again, that's from Kale. What do you think about that, Holly? Mm, 
I don't know that I, I'm in concurrence that she is creating a connection like the visual one, simply because she clearly has, you know, is strong with the Force and can manipulate it to some degree, but I think that's some pretty advanced stuff. But what I do think is probably in play is, one, yes, both of these people are Force-sensitive, and in uh, Ben's case, he has been trained, so he can tap into that very easily. But I think uh, it's probably a little more like the end of Empire when Luke and Leia kind of reach out to each other, where it's not so much a visual, but especially, I can imagine, between a mother and son that connection is already pretty easy to tap into. So I think it's more of a force sensitivity connection. I imagine he can feel her emotion and vice versa, but I don't know that there's a visual. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I I agree with you. I was going to say the same thing about the end of Jedi with Luke and Leia. I think it's more of a feelings thing. I think that she would have to know that Ben or Kylo was there, you know, with the rest of the, the first order tracking them down and that he'd be flying around and she probably even knows what his ship looks like and if it flew by a couple times and she knew for sure but i think that i i think she opened herself up to him he also probably knew that she'd be there with the the resistance as well um but i think it was more of a feelings thing and that, that part for me i i've given it a lot of thought and I, i'm i'm not sure where i'm at on it but i would like to know if what she was portraying or trying to push to to Ben in that moment was it sadness about what he did to Han was it understanding of as a mother and forgiveness for her son like what what did she project to him that would stop him from doing that I don't think he would have killed his mother regardless but you know what I mean I'm I'm like I'm on the fence I don't know which way she would have went with that and I think as strong as she was and the, and the character that Leia was and the person that Leia was, I think that she would have instantly given that forgiveness to, to Kylo or Ben. And, um, you know, in that moment, it really snapped him because then once, <laughs> once the other ties blow up the bridge he takes him out. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, to me, and again, this is all personal interpretation. So, you know, everybody has their own version to me. I don't think of it so much as, as pushing out anything, but just, they can connect and he can instantly feel like she is probably aware that he is out there somewhere. And I imagine all he gets from her, despite his behavior is this sense of like, she loves her son. And she's probably also very afraid and stressed in that moment. And he's getting that. I think that's what kind of gives him pause. I don't know how much she's getting back the other way, unless she can just feel kind of the, that intense turmoil that seems to engulf him at all times, which I think even if you were not related to somebody, unless you're, you know, kind of um, cut off in a way that is alien to me, like you couldn't, even if you can recognize someone is doing something terrible, you feel bad that anyone would be such a victim of their own inner fire, sort of. Yeah. And listen, Kylo, nobody loves you like your mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Kale. That was a good email. Uh, I have one from Jonathan. And he says, hello, hello. Uh, I have watched The Last Jedi three times, and I've absolutely loved it. I thought Vice Admiral Holdo was amazing, especially after reading Leia. I loved the novella collection of Canto Bite, but I 
don't love Canto Bite in the film. I thought it was okay, but I would have cut it for time's sake. I like Phasma. I like the change from third-person present to third-person past tense. A good nod to Chuck Wendig. However, I do not like the horror-style stories in Star Wars, and I think that this is the closest we've gotten to horror. I prefer the more traditional stories by Timothy Zahn, John Jackson Miller, and Chrissy Golden. How do you guys like the shift away from traditional storytelling, and will they continue both traditional and contemporary, or just contemporary? I do have another question for you, though. Solo, a Star Wars story, comes out May 25th of this year. This is incredibly close to the Avengers Infinity War release date of May 4th. I fear that ticket sales will be substantially lower. I estimate around $800 million globally, making it the first Disney Star Wars film not to be ranked number one fiscally for the year. I fear that Solo's underperformance might encourage the senior administrators at Disney and Bob Iger to slow down the rate of Star Wars films and halt future production of anthology films. Do you guys share the same apprehension about Solo as Star Wars Story's possible performance? And lastly, what do you expect slash hope to see in 2018? I realize there are only two books announced, The Last Jedi Novelization and Thrawn Alliances. Do you want any origin stories or stories about the prequels or exclusively post-Return of the Jedi stories? Thanks for reading and may the Force be with you, Jonathan. So many questions to unpack. Yeah. Um, so first, in terms of the tone of it, um, I mean, I think there's room for both. I really kind of like this this newer tone. And again, that's just a personal preference thing. Um, it feels a little more dynamic to me and a little more engaging, but that's, like I said, my taste. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I think you're going to see both. I think it's going to be yeah. contemporary and, and, and also, you know, historic kind of way of doing it. A lot of that has to be with, to do with the authors. I'm not saying that the authors have been writing Star Wars books for a long time are unable to change and be more contemporary, but I think uh, there's certain writing writing styles, and I think there's certain stories that need to be told a certain way. And um, yeah, I think I think there's going to be a mix going forward. So as for Solo, I'm kind of fascinated because I feel like this. I mean, this is always the case with any big film, and particularly Star Wars. There's always a lot of speculation and theorizing and rumors, and I'm I'm always sort of surprised at how ready people are to go to a, a negative a, place a place yeah just a fear of you know um expecting things to go poorly i mean i understand it it's it's fascinating and kind of fun to do the predictive thing but um i mean star wars has come out against other stuff before i would be more worried as a marvel fan that infinity war is coming out a few months after Black Panther, which I suspect is going to be massive. Uh, yeah. Um, and I'm so freaking excited. Uh, for <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think probably, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they'll impact ticket sales that way. I kind of feel like we're like, are we not having the most fortunate and privileged yeah. discussion to be like, there is so much amazing entertainment. How will we all fit it in? Listen, um, take my money. I'm <laughs> Uh, I don't think, I think even if Solo does okay, but not spectacularly, and I still think there is plenty of likelihood that it will do just as well as other movies are pretty close. Um, I don't think that um, Lucasfilm and Disney will probably falter in their plan. Yeah. I don't think that will affect things. I mean, they really have like long-term vision kathy kennedy from the time she started has been thinking about like decades 
yeah. for the Star Wars franchise and how to plan out the best possible future for it. So I'm not too worried about that. Yeah, I, I have zero worry about it. And I think, you know, so Disney's in charge of Marvel and Star Wars, right? So I think it's kind of Disney's way of saying we're not afraid to release any movie at any time. Like, we're going to put out quality movies. There's going to be um, a lot to choose from. And I think that makes it an, an amazing time that we live in. Like, to think about not only just right now, but the last few years of all the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies. Is Han Solo going to be Rogue One? Are they going to catch that lightning in a bottle again? Probably. Um, the first weekend, will it outperform Infinity War? I don't know. But I, I can tell you that there's going to be a lot of people who love it, and there's going to be a lot of people that go see it in the theater over and over and over again. And I have to be honest with you, I'm really excited about the Han Solo movie. I, I'm... Uh, crazy excited about it but you know what i'm also really excited to see infinity war too yeah. so i'm gonna go see both and i have a really good feeling with all these people with their movie passes and all that other stuff that it, it's not going to be a huge problem i mean is the han solo movie going to get make the money that episode eight did no i mean i don't think i had to be a prophet to tell you that but will it do well sure and is it, if it doesn't is it going to kill everything that's going on right now absolutely not like holly said there's a, a long-term vision in this. Episode nine is, you know, coming coming sooner than we uh, than it feels. And um, I know I'm like rambling now, but I'm not worried about it at all. Uh, and then, lastly, what books do you hope or expect to see in 2018, Mike? How about I? How about I change that? How about what books am I excited to read from 2017? I'm still like six <laughs> books behind. I'm still catching up to you. Yeah, I mean, I'm I've read some or listened to some of. Every book that's come out in the last year and a half, I would I haven't finished Phasma. I really'd like to. Um, the Canto Bite, I'd really like to finish that. Maybe next weekend uh, I'll get around to that. But um, yeah, wh whatever is going to lead up to to give us more in the solo movie, you know, whether it be back or what's going on, you know, backstory or what's going on at the time of the movie starting. I, I look forward to that. But what about you? I'm really excited to see what's happening in comics this year because there aren't as many books announced yeah um so that's always exciting to me and i'm kind of one of those like whatever they want to hand me i will read it um i may or may not love it but i'm gonna read it all uh i really want to go back actually this year and go back through from a certain point of view um because there is so much in that that i feel like one time through didn't yeah it didn't all stick for me like i'm sure i'm I will. I have already forgotten parts of it that probably will delight me when I go back and re-engage with it. Yeah, and that's wonderful. And we're, we're, we have no shortage of things to read—comics, books, or or whatever. I um, this is going to be that uh, first world problems. We live in a great time of Star Wars whammy kind of comment, but <laughs> I just sometimes it sometimes it gets a little overwhelming to do a Star Wars show because there's so much that I want to know and there's so much I want to catch up on. But with like the kid and life and family and work and all the other crap, I really wish I had time to sit down and, and read something from cover to cover before we get to actually get to talk about it. But I'll get around to it. Listen, sooner or later, I'll retire and I'll have plenty of things to read. There you go. Yeah. So this one isn't isn't as long, but it's still a good email. Hey, guys, I really enjoy your podcast. Yes, I've also enjoyed The Last Jedi, and I'm slowly coming to grips with the fact that Luke is gone. I do have a few issues with the film and was hoping one of you could help me 
with one of my questions. If Luke didn't want to be found, why did he put R2 in sleep mode and have him react only when the missing piece of the map was found? I also didn't think Luke almost killing Ben was very true to his character, but I did like his redemption story at the end. So keep up the good work. And that's from John in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, well, here's the thing. I am so okay with how Luke goes. Because again, Luke isn't really gone. He'll never be gone. He's a mythical, legendary figure. Plus, he's going to force ghost it up at some point, I'm sure. But the way he did it is so honorable. And the line from Ray about all she did, she felt peace and comfort and, you know, okay. Peace and purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And like we were talking about a little bit earlier in the episode, maybe it was because so much was going on with uh, Carrie and, and Leia. I think it was like the fifth or sixth time when I was sitting down watching it. I'm just really okay with it. Like, I know some people had a problem with it. that It wasn't made a big deal or it didn't have any more pomp and circumstance. But the whole action of what he did was all pomp and circumstance. I mean, it was amazing. It was projecting himself across the galaxy and, you know, standing in front of Kylo, giving the resistance time to get away and sacrificing his his own force within himself. And I'm just just so okay with it, Dolly. I'm with you. I... You know, I don't know that I could conjure a more fitting alternative for him. For me, that was kind of perfect. Um, I will say I'm not sure that it's been established that he put R2 into sleep mode. Like, we don't really no. know the, the mechanics of how that took place. Uh, if that was R2 doing that of his own volition. Because Luke seemed sort of surprised that people were able yeah. to piece together where he was. What are you doing here? Right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure we have that piece of the puzzle yet. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I don't think that I think R2 might have put himself into sleep mode because he was just so distraught that Luke wasn't around anymore. I mean, R2 has been yeah. with the Skywalker since the beginning, and, and maybe that was a little bit too much on R2. Maybe R2, um, yeah, like when we first saw the Force Awakens, and people were kind of guessing about what who Ray was. The only thing that made sense to me with R2 at that time was. When an heir to Skywalker was detected by R2, that's what woke her, woke him up because Ray was there and that, and she was part of Luke or part of that. You know what I mean? But, right. But if we go by what we learned in, in The Last Jedi, that her parents were nobody, that, that whole theory doesn't make any sense. And I'm pretty sure Brian poo-pooed that when I said it back in the day, but I was only saying this is the only thing my brain can comprehend. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's been established and I, maybe we'll get an answer. Maybe we won't like Snoke. Who Who knows? Maybe in my head canon, I mean, I just without even thinking like, oh, this must be what it was. I just sort of like, oh, I get surely this is what it is. Um, I always thought like R2 probably put himself in low power mode and was spending that time running really low level processes, trying to figure out all of the permutations of possible places Luke could be. Sure. So that when someone comes in and they're like, we think we might have a way to Luke, then of course he wakes up and goes, wait, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm in. I'm not sitting here twiddling my thumbs the whole time, guy. Yeah. And as for uh, Luke with Ben, like, I I think I said this last week, like, I know there are people that are really fixated on that as being counter to Luke's um, character. But, I mean, he says himself that it was literally just this flash that happened in a second. And he instantly knew it was the wrong thing. But he just had that, that second, which I think is kind of natural for someone who is taking in all of the possibilities of the force and the world around him and the galaxy around him and 
kind of processing all of it in in one cycle of that process, he went, ooh, we got to get rid of this. But it passed so fleetingly. Yeah, any, any, any human would do the same thing. And he didn't do it, so that's all right. All right, so thanks, John. Appreciate the email. Uh, my next one is from our listener, Adam, and he says, hello, I've been listening to your podcast since the premiere of The Last Jedi. Welcome, Adam, new listener. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> would like to ask your opinion on one specific scene regarding Ray's origin. In The Force Awakens, when Rey touches Luke's lightsaber, she sees several visions of Luke's past, one vision of her past, and one of her future. Although I didn't want or expect Rey to be related to the Skywalkers, I can see why this scene contributed to the popular belief that she was a relative. The memory of Rey being abandoned looked like it could have been a memory of Luke's. You've probably addressed this before, but would you please explain what you think that scene meant in terms of memories of Luke and Rey mixed together? I've been a fan of the Star Wars franchise since 1977 when I was 13, and I liked The Last Jedi. Although I was already a fan of other Kurosawa films, I finally watched Rashomon before my second viewing of Last Jedi, so thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's your take on the Force vision? I really don't know. I know that that's really not <laughs> the right answer for this point, but I, I just don't. I, I don't know, Holly. I just don't know. Uh, for me, I mean, I feel like, particularly now that we've seen The Last Jedi, and I didn't necessarily feel this way before Last Jedi, but after seeing Last Jedi, uh, at least taking it at face value, because I'm sure things could always change in our, our knowledge of what is reality versus what has been misleading could flip. Mm-hmm. But it occurred to me that, that really what's happening when Rey touches the saber is not so much like a telling of her personal story, but it is really her first connection to a really force-laden artifact. So she's kind of getting all kinds of stuff at once. It's like so many signals in the mix. So in one way, it's opening her mind to what really happened to her when she was a kid. In other ways, that saber is telling her its own story. You know, in other ways, it's it's sort of reaching through the force and telling her stories of Luke Skywalker, who at that point is, you know, the, the most theoretically, we don't know for certain, uh, but theoretically the most force sensitive person in the galaxy. But she already knew about Luke. So. Right. But she's getting all of that. Yeah. It's almost, I think of it more like the saber is more of a conduit that doesn't filter anything than I'm going to tell you the narrative of your life or the narrative of, of, you know, what's to come. I mean, Yoda himself tells Luke on Dagobah, like, the Force shows you a lot of stuff, and it's not always true. It's possibilities, not necessarily, you know, definitive answers. When we were watching uh, Clone Wars, when Ezra finds the Sith holocron, he touches it and has all those feelings when he first has it, and then when he's touching it with Maul and going through all that, that kind of reminded me of the scene with the saber. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's an overflow of information. I just... Like like I said, I, I don't want to be repetitive. I just, time will tell really, <laughs> for me, you know? Yep. It's, that was a great explanation, though. You're smart. <laughs> Not really. But thank you, Adam, because that's a fun one to talk about. Yeah, sure is. I wasn't being sarcastic. <laughs> yes, it sure is. All right, this is from Sam. Hey, guys, thanks for reading my email. I love The Last Jedi, but I've got some small hangups with the cruiser chase. The first you mentioned on a previous show, but I'm not sure you really dealt with it. The First Order could simply hyperspace jump some ships ahead of the Resistance fleet such that they were nowhere to retreat to. They have enough ships around to 
surround the resistance, but they don't have to be faster at sublight speed. The second revolves around the hyperspace tracking. I'm confused why this is suddenly a paradigm shift in Star Wars, giving the press precious use of homing beacons to quickly and efficiently broadcast all the same information. Leia herself was there and wise to it when it was in the first Star Wars movie, The Empire tracks the Falcon through a hyperspace jump to the rebel base using a homing beacon. In Attack of the Clones, Obi-Wan tracks Jango Fett from Kamino to Geonosis with a homing beacon, and it's so close on his tail that Fett didn't even have time to land. A homing beacon can be found and destroyed, but the Resistance doesn't even consider scanning their hull for one. They're somehow stunned that they're tracked in the first place. This subtle advance in the tech might have played better if in The Last Jedi if the Resistance found a homing beacon and destroyed it only to discover that no matter what they did, they couldn't shake the pursuit. Given this new insecurity, it's also strange that no one in the Resistance voices a concern about the First Order mole on board the Radis and are willing to assume it must be technology that's tracking them. The fact that someone on board might be compromising or selling the Resistance out would have played into the tension between Poe and Haldo's factions. What do you think? Well, now. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts, Mike? I... When we were talking about this, what was a week or two ago, whenever it was, um, Brian brought up about that being that the hyperspace tracking was like an Easter egg in Rogue One, which, you know, I went back and I watched it again. I love it. I love that that's there. So as far as the ships being able to surround them or jump ahead or do this or do that, first of all, they could change course. If the resistance is going in one direction, they could change course and the ones that jumped ahead in the hyper, hyper speed ahead wouldn't be lined up properly anyway. They couldn't keep up with them because they were lighter ships. And I know, I don't think, and I, I say this with all due respect, Sam, I don't think that you're ever going to get an answer where you're going to be satisfied with because it's a movie and it really <laughs> played well for the story of this movie to go that direction. So this is one of those moments, not only just in Star Wars, but any movie, I don't need it to be 100% accurate. I don't need it to be 100% scientific. I just want to be entertained. And if it helps the story... I'm fine with how they did it. Other people aren't like that. Sam, maybe you're not like that. Maybe you need to know. Maybe you need to have the exact science work out and all that other good stuff. Holly? Um, this is one of those things that, to me, I mean, it's interesting to ponder because I, the First Order is clearly very powerful at this point. And like they have really cocky, too. So, I mean, they'll just hang on their tail, and when they run out of fuel... <laughs> They're, they're just cocky, like, we're, we're going to add insult to injury. We're just going to follow along until they, you know, run out of fuel, and then we're really going to decimate them. Yeah. My thing is, though, that I don't know how many other ships they have at their disposal for this particular thing, right? They're scattered throughout the galaxy, controlling other systems, taking control of yet new systems. Uh, so their fleet is theoretically, uh, you know, working to gain and enforce additional power. And at the same time, remember, this is right after Starkiller Base was destroyed. Mm -hmm. So presumably they lost a lot of assets in that. So yeah. it's unclear to me exactly what they might have to throw at this problem in terms of more ships. And they're not, the, the hyperspace tracking, it, well, they weren't tracking a beacon that was on the ship, which is, you know, like, like Sam mentioned in the emails, played out several times in other movies. They're actually tracking the ship itself. Now, right. the the First Order has that tracking device in one of their ships, and as long as they took that out on the one ship, then they couldn't track them through space, blah, 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 blah. But they were tracking the, what's the word I'm looking for? 
they're not the essence of the ship, but they were like their energy signature or something. Yeah. Yeah. The signature of the ship. That's where I was going with. So that device, which was a huge, big device in the, in the, the one cruiser, they were tracking the ship. They weren't tracking there. They didn't throw one of those uh, squares that you can get for your iPhone and find your remote control. They didn't just throw one up <laughs> on the ship and then, and followed it. I like me. the idea that they're using tile or, yeah. um, or <laughs> a similar technology. On there. <laughs> yeah. Get our iPhones out. It was a gigantic iPhone in the, in, in the first order ship and you just hit find my iPhone and that's how they're tracking them. Right. There you go. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, um, they don't all seem to act in a way that would make me think that no one has considered that there might be a mole on the ship, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's part of, that's one of the questions sort of surrounding Holdo and her handful of people that seem loyal to her, how they handle things, right? That's come up in some of the, the interpretations and, and explanations people have given for why she is so terse and unsharing of information with uh, Poe that, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't know if they have somebody aboard who is betraying them um, because Rose figures out the hyperspace tracking. Like she's the one that has the revelation, but we don't really see her go and explain it to anybody except for uh, her talk with Finn and yeah. then them explaining it to Poe. I think in any war, in any time, in any place, whatever, you should just assume that there's a mole on both sides. There's spies everywhere. There's intelligence and counterintelligence and spy versus spy and all this other stuff. So it's, it's a pretty good possibility that there was somebody on the inside, but that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean they actually did something. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. That would be a great uh, story for comics. I think. Yeah. Be a fun one. Um, I have one from Travis. And he says, uh, The Last Jedi is a rewatchable film from start to finish. And I I think that's a big compliment. I concur a million times over. Uh, He says, I feel the same way about The Empire Strikes Back. Every time it's on, I think, oh, the Battle of Hoth. Let me just watch this. And then that leads to the asteroid field and Dagobah and the Executor and Jedi training and Cloud City and the Vader-Luke duel and the Falcon escape. And by the time I realize it, I have watched the whole film again. I don't think I've ever turned Empire off. No, me either. To me, The Last Jedi will be another film like that. While parts of Canto Bite weren't that exciting, it was short and sweet and mostly necessary to move things along. I agree with what someone on your podcast said. There's a there's big moment after big moment in The Last Jedi. It upends expectations and it delivers shocks and surprises that I wasn't sure we were ready for, but I believe were needed to move the franchise along. Most of us have the benefit of 30 plus years of watching The Empire Strikes Back, and we did it in several ways. As kids, as young adults, as adults, and with lots of time to see it as part of our heart and soul and mind. Imagine yourself as you are right now this day and A New Hope came out in 2015, followed by The Empire Strikes Back in 2017. What would you think of it? Would you have had a similar reaction as you did when you were a kid? Would you think, what the heck did I just see? Would you think they destroyed the saga? That's some of what we're experiencing with The Last Jedi. Does it have its fault? Sure, everything does. But I believe The Last Jedi will be fondly remembered once we've had the benefit of time and perspective. Like The Empire Strikes Back, The Last Jedi was a fundamental change for Star Wars, but at its core, it's a deep, rich, moving theme with tons of iconography and mythology that challenge us and fills us for, with hope for the future. There's still times where I go back and watch Jedi or Revenge of the Sith or any of the older movies, and depending on where I'm at in my life, I, I look at it completely differently. Like, 
I thought The Revenge of the Sith was always a decent Star Wars movie, but it took years for me to say, oh, it's in my top four or top three Star Wars movies. And I think he's absolutely right. We've had all these years. Uh, I'm talking about the old folks, me, Holly, and, and the the writer of this email. We've had uh, a lot of time to see Empire in so many different as- uh, so many different times of our lives. And, and who you are at 20 is not who you are at 25 or 30 or 35. And um, I think, and I said this earlier, so I, I'm just going to be repetitive. Time's going to tell. But for me, I don't think Last Jedi is going to be a movie that I ever turn off. If it's yeah, all, I don't think so, because there's just either. huge moment after huge moment, and you're always waiting for that next thing. Because now you know what's coming. I'm just gonna wait for this part. I'll wait. I'm just gonna wait for this part. So that's a great email. That's a great foresight. It is, and it actually reminded me of a thing that happened when I first saw Empire when it came out in 1980. Um, I went with my best friend, and her mom had taken us, and her mom had really enjoyed A New Hope. And I remember us walking out of empire and her completely feeling like she had kind of gotten i don't know if cheated is the right word or like screwed over like she was like because of the way that movie is left kind of open-ended it's not a happy ending and it's not you don't know what's going to happen next and there are a lot of unanswered questions she did kind of was like yeah but they never told us what happened with this or with this and what's gonna how can they just drop that information on us and then leave the movie and i I had not thought about that until I was reading this email and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is just like her reaction to that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. It's other, it's other movies too. I remember, um, when we first, I took my brother-in-law to go see Lord of the Rings in the theater with the knowledge that there were going to be other movies coming and it gets to the end of the movie and he was really into it and he's digging it and it ends and he stands up in front of the theater of all the people and yells, what the, <laughs> you know, <laughs> He wasn't prepared for it, but you know what? There were a lot of things that you didn't know about, and I just look back at that time. What is that, like 15 years ago now? It's a while ago. It just, now I've seen those movies or the Star Wars movies or Harry Potter movies. I've seen them so many times where, you know, there isn't a there isn't any movies except for the Marvel movies and Star Wars movies right now that make me feel like the Lord of the Rings or Star Wars back in the day where, we have to wait a whole year. We have to wait two years or three years to find out what happens. Like now you can go back and you watch those movies like in a row. You just power load all three of them in a row. And yep. the, the people that watch them now like that, like my daughter or her friends, like they don't get that. You have to wait a while. <laughs> you have to wait. You can't just watch after Smaug leaves to go towards Watertown. You can't just watch the beginning of the next movie. You have to wait. He is <laughs> death. That's, a, by the way, great villain. I love Smaug. Yeah. Uh, Fellowship of the Ring came out in 2001, so oh, yeah. almost 17 years ago. <sighs> it seems like it wasn't that long ago. I concur. Back in my day. But let's see. We've got another email. This one's kind of short, so I'm sorry that Holly has all these long ones and I have all these short ones, but that's Holly's better readist than I am. Hello, fellow <laughs> Sith peeps. And I like that Eric here uses peeps because that's my word. Uh, first, love the podcast. You are each lovely folks and do a wonderful job with the podcast. Thank you. I try to be lovely. This is a question that had been rumbling in my head since the first wide shot of Jakku in the trailer. The one with Ray on our speeder in the distance, with the Downstar Destroyer in the background and the X-Wing in the foreground. Do you think we'll ever see the Battle of Jakku on screen? Whether it be a film or a TV show, would you want to see it? Or am I the only one? Thanks again for a great podcast. And again, that's from Eric. So let me think. Battle of Jakku is in, is in Battlefront? 
that's what I'm trying to remember. Which parts? This is a sad state of affairs. Is that in a my battle memory. after the Battle of Jakku, or is that? I think that's part of Battle of Jakku. So, correct, uh, correct me if I'm well, wrong. We're in the graveyard where the ships were downed on uh, Jakku. Graveyard of Giants. Yes. So it's after. So it's after the fact. Yes. Okay. But it gets talked about, isn't it, in the aftermath series? But he's asking about on screen. Yeah, on screen, I can't think of a time. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if we'll get it. I don't think we're going to. I don't think we need to. I think sometimes that hearing about, like, Ray heard about Luke Skywalker. So when she finds out, oh, my God, I thought he was just a myth. I think the same thing for great battles. Like, there was a lot of, I hate to put it in this in this way, but there was a lot of great battles of the Civil War. But the movies, like Glory and Gods and Generals and all those Civil War movies, they were based on ones like Antietam or Gettysburg or, you know, specific ones. But there was, you know, tons of battles. And, you know, sometimes it's it's more impressive it's more hard-hitting if it's you just have an idea that this happened and there not a lot has come out from that because nobody really survived and they don't know much about it and it's a lot of hearsay and i think sometimes you don't need to see those things yeah i mean i i think like that potentially could for all we know be part of a series planned in the future or you know like i would be perfectly happy to watch like a um a military series that was staged during that time period where we see all of the kind of like clone wars, but you know, obviously later um, that could be fun, but I don't know. I, yeah, I'm not, if I never see it, I won't be like, man, I really wish I had that. Uh, and the other reason why I get to there with that is because in both movies, nobody likes Jakku. Everybody wants to get over it. Like, <laughs> why are you going to Jakku? Why do you want to go back to Jakku? Oh, we didn't look at Jakku because nobody wants to go to Jakku. Uh, maybe those are little hints. It would be cool to see all those Star Destroyers crashing down to the planet. And yeah, yeah that's getting knocked down. I, would, would I be happy to see it if they provided it? Sure. Do I need to? No. Like I said before, sometimes the mystery about it makes it bigger than it might have actually been, even though the Battle of Jakku is probably gigantic. Yeah. Well, and my thing always is like, whenever people talk about wanting to have the gaps filled in existing stories... I'm down for that, but at the same time, I wouldn't want it at the expense of getting new stories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I have one. It is from our listener, John, and he says, hey, Mike and the gang. We see how it is. He cool likes you the, the best. Gang. See, I'm cool uh, and you're the gang. <laughs> he says, great show with your post-viewing reactions. I'm hoping you guys and gal will focus an upcoming show on the current state of the fandom. I'm going through a crisis of conscience after reading so many takes from fans who are acting like entitled brats or saying subtly racist or misogynistic comments about The Last Jedi. On the internet? I'm wondering what? I know. Yeah. I'm wondering what happened to the inclusive fan community or if this is an undercurrent of cynicism and anger that was always there, but the prequels never had strong female leaders outside of Padme. I feel like the comments fans laughed off about Finn being black or Ray being a Mary Sue were too casually dismissed. And now it's back, but in more full, of, full, more full of a force. Anyway, the dishonest reaction to the film by some in fandom have truly stunned and affected me in a way that's making me feel like Padme when she says to Anakin that he's breaking her heart, or Ray when she implores Ben, please don't do this. Oh Thanks, so guys, strong. and happy holidays. Uh, that's John. Formerly from Pittsburgh, now in York. Yeah, I, yeah I'm going to have to go meet him. He's only like, a, like an hour away. Um, but those two moments, you're breaking my heart, Anakin, and... 
don't do this. Those are some pretty heart wrenching moments. They are. <laughs> and I, I understand because as much as I'm perfectly happy for people to take any film and the way they take it and have their own reaction, it does sort of break my heart to see some of the, the less um, noble aspects of, of, what happens in fandom at times. Yeah. Here's the thing. People suck. And <laughs> all I, you, Brian, anybody associated with our show, all we can do is be consistent and remain inclusive and remain to keep the show a place of positivity in star Wars. And we do bring up some things that people say, and we try to discuss rationally and, intelligently and fairly i'm not going to put anybody down because they have a different opinion of me even if they're acting like a jerk off online you know i still think everybody's entitled to their opinions but all we can do is continue to be that way and hope that you know listen the great deal of star wars fans are inclusive and they are loving of the community and each other and the movies and everything else and that whole adage you know it only takes one bad apple to spoil the 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 bunch or whatever one bad apple do i say barrel of apples i don't know the exact wording of the adage because i'm tired but you get my point it only takes a couple people to make things seem non-inclusive and i just don't think that we need to continue to focus on those things sure we can discuss it and sure it sucks but people suck all over uh i'll be a little more upbeat than that i do think mike touched on it though like it is it is a small they're super vocal but i i really think the majority of people in fandom are much more inclusive and welcoming and excited to see these new stories being told with new people that we haven't seen on screen before um i had an interview recently uh with a, a non-male creator of a show and uh, in the course of that conversation, it came out that um, it was a complete revelation for this person to realize that, like, growing up, little boys consumed things that they saw themselves in because that was not ex an experience this person had ever had. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I think that's part of it, right? This is a gear shift of people adjusting to the idea that that they don't always identify with the hero and that's hard if that's what you've had your whole life so i kind of understand psychologically what this struggle is even though i don't really enjoy the way it's manifesting um you know and for some people it's easy and and the you know like for you mike and brian i don't think either of you has been like this isn't about me anymore. I hate Star Wars. <laughs> so it's a little bit tricky to kind of fully understand that idea. But at the same time, I, I see how if that's been how you identified with and connected to the material, it's going to be hard to not have that anymore. And it will feel like you have somehow been wronged, even though really it's, it's stabilizing to a more level place. Yeah. Well said. But we're always here and always inclusive, so feel free to always come and join us. And if you think we're not, call us on it. Please. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, let's get, what do you think, two or three more? Yeah. Okay. Uh, hello, full of Sith crew, longtime listener, second time emailer, frequent tweeter. Just wanted to say that you three, and occasionally, Bobby, you're doing a great job with all the excellent Star Wars content we have been getting the last few years. Love your perspectives, enthusiasm, and welcome as full of Sith brings to fandom. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, occasionally Bobby. Is he saying occasionally Bobby because Bobby's occasionally with us or occasionally yeah. Bobby does a good job? 
I, I think, think he sang occasionally with it. <laughs> I agree. I think Bobby does a great job. And if you haven't listened to that music three-parter that we put out a couple weeks ago that Bobby did, it is a masterpiece. Holy moly, that thing is great. And I know I've thrown that word masterpiece out on this show several times, and I will continue to do so when I appreciate something as well put together as that series. That was amazing. Um, I've listened to it several times. But back to the email. Uh, I have a question perspective I thought I'd uh, share regarding Ray and Anakin. Not sure if I've seen this around, but ever since I saw Last Jedi, I've been wondering if Ray is what Anakin could have been had he not been recruited by the Jedi. Both were slaves. Both were extremely powerful with the Force. Both have a penchant for the dark side. Uh, both looking for parental guides. Excellent pilots, for the both of them. And both have a way with droids. Is it almost like Ray is what Anakin could have been in his path uh, to the Jedi or Force have been more organic? Could he have won his freedom like Ray apparently did? Could he have avoided the dark side had he not been so desperate to help his mom, which he abandoned? Not sure if any of the any of this is worth of discussion on the podcast, but I'd be interested in your thoughts. And that's from Joe. And listen, Joe, yeah, I think eventually, as Anakin got older and got stronger, he could have gotten away from Watto. And Ray didn't really earn her freedom. She just left. They hopped in the Millennium Falcon and took off. So the only thing I can add to his email that comes into my mind right now, I've always thought that it was amazing and powerful that Anakin was of the Force. He was like the immaculate conception of the Force. And I have said all throughout the time in between first watching um, Force Awakens and through Last Jedi and everything else that we're getting in books or whatever, I've always said that I would rather that be Rey as well. Just her parents to nobody. She's of the Force. She's powerful. And that could be anybody in the galaxy, like the little boy with the broom at the end of The Last Jedi. So I think there's a lot of similarities. I think there's a on purpose there's a lot of similarities and um i kind of hope that that's the case holly um yeah i mean i i just for clarity and it sounds really anal retentive but i don't perceive ray so much as a slave uh just for the clarity on that yeah no she's more of a junker a scavenger and she has to sell her stuff to get portions yeah and it's definitely a limited system uncar plot plot is clearly running the show but i like i said i don't get the the, I never perceived her as a slave to him. Yeah, she's not tech. Um, no. Because she has options, you know what I mean? He makes They make deals. He offers to buy the droid, and she says no. You know, she comes back at him when he says it's a half portion, and she says last week they were half portion yeah. each. So there's it's not quite the same. But uh, I think, yeah, I mean, the, the difference is, right, Ray has... I'm thinking this through as I'm saying it, so forgive me for any no. stupidity that comes out. What I keep centering on in reading this email and thinking about it is the attachment factor, right? So Anakin grew up with his mother for a period of time before he chose to leave her. And he consequently has this proclivity towards forming attachments that are not allowed as per the Jedi Order. Whereas Rey has been stripped of all her attachments, even though she still yearns for them, she doesn't really have any. And so it's not until she is a fully formed adult and she has grown up outside of that Jedi system, as is mentioned in this email, that she starts to form attachments that are real. Uh, So I feel like there's something really interesting in there to examine uh, the idea of what you can and can't let go of. But even so, like, I think it's important to note 
by the time Ray starts getting attached to people, right? She and Finn have an obvious connection, and and that's the first person we've talked about on the show before that that ever came back for her in The Force Awakens, and it really clearly touched her and was very meaningful to her. At the same time, she did not hesitate to leave him mm-hmm. uh, because it is not an unhealthy attachment where she is fearful about that relationship and thinks she can't possibly be in any way apart from it. Um, so I think, yeah, she just has like a, a through a really hard upbringing, she has somehow ended up a much more healthy person. Yeah. And like she can touch the dark side without fear and without the baggage of it because she knows who she is and she doesn't feel compromised or like she is in peril of falling into the darkness in terms of her own psyche, but she can still walk right up to it and talk to it, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty interesting. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. Mm. That's kind of like the, um, you know, it's the comparative data study that's hard to do because it's not full one to one information points. Yeah, but I'm going to channel Brian right here. It's, it's amazing how we all have different points of views and it's awesome to hear <laughs> and it's deaf guys. So he's right. Good job, Brian. I like how you once again got to um, kind of a slightly Cartman-esque impersonation. <laughs> yeah, because it's the farthest thing from Brian, but it just it's funny in my head. It really is. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> All right, so how about one more each? Uh, this actually uh, dovetails nicely in, in terms of uh, sort of attachment and, and mental state. And it is from Tom, and he says, Hi, everyone. I just wanted to share a thought and ask a question about Kylo Ren. I know people don't like that we didn't get much about Snoke. I think that was cool. Terminated by Ryan Johnson with extreme prejudice. People still want to know how Snoke turned Ben, but I think you guys are right when you suggested Kylo didn't really need Snoke for that. Mike said some people are just bad, and while that may be true, it doesn't quite sit well with me. I am a naive optimist sometimes. The correct answer to would you go back in time to kill baby Hitler is I'd go back and kidnap him from his abusive father and take him to an orphanage in Nebraska. So I'm thinking there must be something that seduced Ben. And what if it was Vader? We didn't get any grandfather stuff from Kylo in this movie, but it occurs to me that Kylo found out who his grandfather was and began to idolize him. Sounds like anyone we know or almost everyone we know. Kylo may be all of us. We have all idolized the sheer incredible awesomeness of Darth Vader for as long as we can remember. For some people, he was so awesome they rejected the portrayal of Anakin in the prequels as anything other than pure awesomeness. You guys call this show full of Sith, even though it's easily the most light-sided, welcoming (laughs) Star Wars podcast online. It's really ironic, isn't it? It is. (laughs) We absolutely love Darth Vader so much. We get warm and giggly when he is slicing up rebels in the hallway in Rogue One, and it's okay for us. But maybe Kylo Ren is what happens when Vader and bad guy fandom happens to someone actually in that world. In Bloodline, they touch on Imperial hero worship a little bit with the trophy collecting stuff. We probably should have known he was going to take out Snoke the moment he started praying to the Vader mask. My question really is just what has to happen to Ben. Redemption is too vague. He's not coming back from all this, but he can't just die a bad guy either. He's too interesting for that. He won't die a bad guy. Uh, Doesn't he have to see the light at some point? Remember, it's not just the end of this trilogy. It's the end of a nine-chapter saga. Mm-hmm. And while Ray is essentially the main character here and will most likely end this thing standing tall as the new New Hope, doesn't it fall on Kylo Ren to wrap up and bookend the story that started with nine-year-old Anakin? I'm not making predictions because clearly we've learned that expectations are the Star Wars fans' mortal enemy. 
Thanks a lot. Your show has legitimately become part of my Star Wars movie-going experience. Tom, and then he says, Akmina for canon. Uh, I support that idea. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is really interesting. Uh, what are your thoughts on what has to happen to Ben? So I think, first of all, I want to say something about Tom. He's a good dude. I've seen him at several conventions, and he's a great family, and he's a good dude, and I like him a lot. Uh, Me too. I, want- I have run into him during Disney races. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. I'd like to say that, see, it's a good thing that you're a naive optimist, because I'm a naive pessimist. And much like the Force, we balance each other out. Um, Kylo Ren, I said while you were reading that, that Kylo won't die a bad guy. Kylo, much like Vader, has done bad things, but they're from different areas. Vader was trying to save Padme and was doing things that he shouldn't have been doing because his heart was trying to keep her safe, which ended up killing her. Ben is more of a, like a fanboy. And I've said that when we, I, we first saw the trailer, I called Kylo yeah. Ren a fanboy, a Vader fanboy. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm a Vader fanboy big time. Um, Kylo Ren does some bad things. Does it make him a bad person? Probably. So when I say he's not going to die a bad guy, he's going to do something redemptive a little bit. I'm sure. I'm almost positive of it. But he's still a bad guy. I mean, I was pulling for him until that scene with Ray and, and you know, don't do this. And he just, that's his pull. That's where he Snoke is gone. Nobody's holding the strings anymore. That's where he wants to go. He's been damaged. He has issues. He wants to do what he feels, even though he didn't talk about Vader in this in this movie, he still wants to complete his, you know, the prophecy about him or whatever. Um, yeah. But I don't know how they're going to go about it. And every time I try to speculate something, I'm 100% wrong. But in... For me, the like the kind of the rules of Star Wars, there has to be some kind of redemption. I think that that's going to happen. However, there were a lot of rules broken for Last Jedi, and I love it because of it. So whatever. Yeah, I um I sort of have this vision of, and again, I'm not predicting. This is just a thought that occurred to me. But I have this vision of Ben at the episode nine at the end of episode nine on Achto, knowing that he has done a great deal wrong and planning to spend the remainder of his life learning more about the light side of the force and dealing with his feelings of regret about what he has been spending his youth doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you do that in a way that, that will, (laughs) I was going to say, I don't know how you do that in a way that will please audiences. But if we know anything about star Wars, it's a, you cannot ever think that way because you won't anyway. Um, yeah, it's tricky to think about um, because I think, you know, it's you and I have talked about this offline, just messaging that like Ben, and I think we've talked about it on the show too, but recently we had a conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben, you know, clearly has grown up in the shadow of his amazing hero parents yeah. and his hero uncle and you're never going to get enough validation from that system mm-hmm. if you're that kid. Like, you're just not. You are never going to feel special. You have to go the opposite way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then when you go the opposite way and someone like Snoke says, you are amazing. You are the progeny of the Vader line. Yep. You're the best thing ever. You're the next it's, Darth Vader. It's like a serious dopamine hit. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what he yearned for from his parents, probably, and was never going to be able to get no matter what they did. Which is exactly what happened with Anakin and, and um, Palpatine. Like, right. you're so amazing. You're great. Let me tell you stories. Let me say all this great stuff and really pique your interest. 
yeah, the Jedi really don't appreciate you the way they should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, like, when you talk, when people talk about Snoke and how we need to see how Snoke turned Ben, I'm like, that seems like a pretty simple equation. <laughs> like, how interesting is it really to go, no, kid, you're amazing. And for him to go, really? I mean. <laughs> yeah, like, jump at the, uh, jump at the opportunity. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, Kylo, you know, coming from stock of Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Princess Leia, <laughs> I can't believe you're amazing as you are, because they all suck. Right. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all he wants to hear. Yeah. So that's kind of my take on that. Because that's the other thing. And again, yeah, we did talk about this, but that that whole thing that you just want to feel special. Everybody wants to feel a little special at some point. And it's just so much to live up to. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that everybody that has celebrity um, mothers and fathers or aunts or uncles or grandparents, or whatever, that they like they don't have a good shot at being a normal person because they're always going to be, they're always going to be held up to them in that way, but it's unfortunate, but do you need to, does a good person go an opposite way of what his whole family has fought to bring down because he's a good guy? Sometimes people have bad things in them. Yeah. And, and evil is relative. It's relative to the side. (laughs) That's true. But I think, yeah, I mean, it's a unique, if, if we're dealing with real world concepts, you mentioning like people that grow up with like celebrity parents. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's a unique area to try to navigate. And if you were to consider that not only are his parents celebrities, but they are the people that everyone in the galaxy for the most part, um, there are pockets obviously that disagree because that's how the first order form. But most of the people in the galaxy are like these people, these three people saved us. Yeah. Like that's a, even more heady than your average celebrity situation. Well, yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, that's a whole galaxy of, thousands and thousands of different kind of creatures and yeah not just hollywood and united states of america yeah. <laughs> listen carrie wasn't bad she had she had celebrity parents yeah but carrie did some things that weren't so good but didn't make her bad but still she had to, and i don't even think she really like watching the the some of the things about her some of the uh, like the mother and daughter thing that was on hbo a while ago and some of the yeah. and her writings there's you know, she didn't really particularly need to be somebody, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, it just, it varies. It's tricky. I, parent Parenting, I'm not a parent, but I know parenting is tricky to begin with. Yeah. So when you put those additional stressors on the situation, of course, it's going to be exponentially harder to ensure like a good, healthy, mentally, um, mentally healthy and, you know, uh, validating upbringing for yeah, child. I got you. What my point was about Carrie was, as I told Anya a long time ago, she's never going to be as wonderful as me. She's never going to be as funny as me. She's never going to be as good looking <laughs> as me. She's never going to be as wonderful or well received or as loved as I am. Uh, so don't try. Just <laughs> I'm awesome. You're not. So you know it's 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 tough shit for you, kid. No. Um, <laughs> again, that's funny in my head. But am I? Fa- I'm not a famous person, so let's let's knock that off the thing. But what my point really being is is that there are things that I'm very good at. There's things that Anya's mother is very good at, and there's expectations, I'm sure, from other people. We don't really have expectations. We have hopes and we have support, but there's expectations from other people for her to be as smart as one of us or as talented as one of, the, as one of us. And the way we've always handled it, and it's very tricky. It's a very fine line. I agree with you, Holly. Um, we let her pick her own path. If she was interested in something, we supplied her with the tools to really dive into it and be whatever she wanted to be, you know, or take it as far as she wants. And, 
She's very talented. She plays several instruments. She's very highly rated. She plays in symphony. She does all these great things. And I tell her all the time that she's better than me, that I'll never be as amazing as her, that I wish I was as good at one thing in this world that she is at everything she does. Like I try to really be supportive and, and I don't lie to her. If she's doing bad at something, I say, hey, maybe this isn't for you or you need to try a little bit harder, but it is. It's a very fine line. I'm rambling now, but I tell her when this show is over, I'm going to go tell her she sucks. Like, <laughs> no, you're not. you don't, you don't even get to hold up my shadow kid. No, no she's awesome. She is just Aww. amazing. No, I don't. Actually, I do, but I laugh and then she laughs um, because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. Uh, for, for years, Holly, for the 13 years or 12 years or however long I've been doing podcasting in the beginning days, that was my MO. I was just, I was great. And I said it constantly, and it was always hilarious to me, and it made some people love me, and it made other people absolutely hate me. They stopped hating me after they realized that I was just being sarcastic or I was being saying something that's the exact, exact opposite of how I feel. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy being me. So we have taken up lots of time, and before we cut away from this, I want to mention we got a really great email from Thomas in Oregon, but mm -hmm. it is a lot to unpack, so we're saving that for the next time. Yeah, I actually, I'm going to do the same thing for the episode from our new listener, Matt. Um, he wrote another great email, so let's save one to these these two, and um, we'll, we'll stop the show right there, because we, we actually, yeah, we're, I got to go drop my truck off. It got rear-ended a couple weeks ago, and I got to drop it off tonight to get it fixed. Um, so that being said... Uh, thank you for your emails. Everybody that did email in. There's a lot of other ones that we did get in, and we'll get to them, especially these other two that we just mentioned. Um, Holly, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you? Sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Surliest Girl, and I'm on Instagram as SurlyGirly5. Uh, you can visit my history podcast, which is Stuff You Missed in History class, at MissedInHistory.com. And that's also our handle across the spectrum of social media. And then Brian and I do... Um, a uh, history show about fictional history called Faux Authentic History, F-A-U-X, Authentic History, because it's French. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and that can be found at Faux Authentics on Twitter and uh, at com. You know, my, before I started podcasting, I actually had a a um, fake, like The Onion, like one of those websites. I had uh -huh. some friends, we all got together and we wrote articles for it, and it was Fox News, Faux News. <laughs> It's all under the umbrella of faux news. No, I'm kidding. It is a wonderful show, and I, I implore everybody to check it out if they haven't already. You're so sweet. Thank you. Just honest. Um, if you want to check out Brian, brianyoungfiction.com. He has uh, Big Shiny Robot. He has starwars.com, How Stuff Works. He has all that good stuff. You can find his books on Amazon, or you can do his Patreon, which is Swankmatron. He's better at his own pitch than I am, but... You know, it's really funny when he's doing his pitch, I'm usually trying to correct him or add stuff to it. But when I'm trying to do it for him, I'm not very good at it. Um, if you want to find me, go to the mic.com. Everything I've done or have doing now is there. And um, I want to tell everybody that officially, yes, we are on Spotify. Yes, we are on iHeartRadio. We're in Stitcher. We're in the iTunes store. We're also on Google Play and all those fine places. If you haven't already and you want to leave us a review, that would be fantastic. And um if you want to email us, do it at holocronicfullofsith.com. And at fullofsith.com, you can see the show art and the notes and all that other good stuff that comes along with releasing a new episode. Facebook.com slash fullofsith. We post everything there right away when the show is released. And Facebook.com slash group slash fullofsith is where you can go and get on conversations that everybody's having over the most recent show or just anything that's going on in the news of Star Wars or whatever. 
And um, there's one other thing. What's the other thing? Oh, Twitter's at full Sith at Mike as earliest girl at uh, Swank Montrod. And again, I, I do want to push um, Bobby's series, his three-parter that's in the feed for um, what's the name of it, Holly? Why can't I remember it? Uh, it's how the force works. Ah, uh, yeah. How the force works. Check those out as well. They're all good stuff. So uh, maybe Brian will be here with us next week. If he's a fast healer, uh, we're going to try to tell him to take it easy. Take it easy. Yeah. yeah. But knowing Brian, he'll probably be here next week. But if he's not, don't be surprised. Um, missed him this week. Thanks for the emails. Holly, thank you for all the insights. You're a smart lady. You're a smart dude. I am. I try to tell on you that constantly. <laughs> but <laughs> So for this episode 250 of Full of Sith, uh, my great co-hosts, Holly Fry and Brian Young, who is on the mend, send him some Facebook thumbs up or likes or whatever and say, feel better, buddy. Uh, I am the Mike Pilot. May the force be with you always. If you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. With Lucky Land you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.